Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for engaging conversations about the topics that matter most in our culture. If you love nuance, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you're tired of the screamers taking all the oxygen out of the room, if you'll enjoy edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me, you love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. I'm Corey Nathan, your host on Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other, co-produced by my pal Tristan Drew back in Ohio. And by the way, if you like the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps us in terms of visibility on the apps. Tell a friend about it, share it, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And today's guest, I'm really happy to have Dennis Werner, a world-renowned garbage man. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, Dennis is a good friend. He's a local businessman who is a commercial real estate broker and also runs a large regional waste and disposal company. Uh, Dennis will be a regular contributor, I hope, on a series, if I don't completely piss him off today, (laughs) on a series of episodes we'll be calling what are we calling it? The garbage man and the window washer? What What are we calling well, I'll it? I'll be the garbage man. You be the window washer. How about okay. That? The garbage man and the window washer solve all the problems of the universe. <laughs> Dennis, <Right>. thanks for coming in. <laughs> thanks for having me. One of the things I wanted to do is to, you know, we don't just have talking heads here. We have human beings. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and where you grew up and how you, how you became an, an independent enterprising entrepreneur? Well, I'm a native Southern California boy, born in Downey, California, you know, middle-class family. And my dad worked at a company that made trash trucks. And then when I got out of high school, I went to work at the factory as a parts guy and uh, worked my way up into engineering and R&D. And uh, then I started my own business selling parts and doing service on trash trucks for years. And then um, I ended up working at a disposal company out here in 1989 in Santa Clarita, Santa Clarita Disposal. And I ran that for 10 years. And when they sold that in 1999, I pretty much went out and got my commercial real estate license because I didn't know what to do. But at the same time, I stayed in the trash business as a consultant. So I ended up uh, consulting for a company for about another 10 years while I was doing commercial real estate. And then they asked me to come in and help them as I was handling their real estate, but also they asked me to manage their division for a couple of years. And now it's going on eight years. <laughs> yeah. So I've, so I've got the real estate and the, the trash experience. And so it's, running a business, running one business that's my own business, where you can stay up at night trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And then the other running somebody else's business where you have your kind of middle management. I have ownership and upper management, vice presidents, all the way down to people that are underneath me, drivers and supervisors and stuff like that. So you get a pretty good um, cross section of the business world. Since this is uh, talking politics and religion without killing each other, would you say that your professional life is what has been the biggest influence in you forming your political positions or 
the way that you look at things when when certain positions or politicians come up? I always say absolutely, because my my professional life has been a bigger, I guess, and my pie chart of life is my biggest pie slice. And so when my professional career is going bad, my personal life is going bad. Mm. So it's really, it really is my anchor. So it's important to me that my professional career is good. And when I say good, I don't mean money wise, because I've had plenty of opportunities to make 10, 20 times the amount of money that I make, but I'm happy with my quality of life and that I've my professional career. So, and I think that ties to my political opinions. Yeah. Now you have a relationship with your son that has a lot of similarities to the relationship that I have with my dad. What, what are some of the influences and you're, you're also one of the most well-informed and thoughtful guys when it comes to your religious and philosophical perspectives. What are some of those things throughout life that has helped you to shape your religious and philosophical perspectives? And has your relationship and that ongoing dialogue that you've had with your son influenced your, your overall perspectives? My son has been a major influence on my religious aspect because he has a complete polar opposite view. And he's challenged me in ways that I could have never thought possible just when I thought I had all the answers all wrapped up. Also, he's like, well, what about this dad? You know, and I'm just like, what the heck? Give me (laughs) six months to think about that. (laughs) And I'll get right back to you. (laughs) We got to have him on at some point. It sounds like a really sharp dude. Oh yeah. You know, he's, he's pretty sharp, you know, but he says I'm one of the sharpest guys because I guess I challenge him as well. But to answer your question, what, I, you know, my dad came home when I was about seven years old and said, hey, we're going to go to church. And I'm like, what's church? And so we went to church and I just kind of did the little church thing, but it wasn't like, um, I don't know, I wasn't into it. I didn't really understand it or whatever. But then later I got into science and studying science just on my own you know, studying light waves and gravity waves and just studying all these different types of things led me back to all this stuff that I had learned in church earlier. I'm like, wait a minute, this is tying this all together as opposed to tearing it apart. And so I guess I'm a reluctant religious person. It's kind of like, look at it like it's almost like a brute fact, something you have to deal with as opposed to people that need a religion because they have a hole in their life or some other kind of thing like that. I'm kind of the opposite. It's like, wow, after turning over enough stones, you're like, you kind of stumble on it. And then it's kind of a reality that you almost have to, in my opinion, deal with. So how, how did you deal with it? Well, I'm still dealing with it. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> it's, it's a walk, isn't it? It is because, you know, when you, you go back and look at some of this stuff, you know, what typical religious religions or religious people do, I don't do those. And, um, but then I wonder if I should, you know, so it's kind of complicated at yeah. that point. What are some of the pillars of your, your current faith? Well, 
faith is a tricky word. Okay. Because I think that everybody has faith. And so I, I guess I have faith in the fact that I, I just always go back to the very beginning, like, and I mean, really the beginning. Why is there something instead of nothing? The oldest question asked by mankind tens of thousands of years ago, asked that question. Why is there something instead of nothing? And there's only two answers. Either it happened by accident or there was some type of intelligent design behind that. And if there's some type in either answer that you choose as a human being requires faith. So if you say, well, no, it's a complete accident. Well, you weren't there. So you don't know. And there's some evidence pointing both ways. There's evidence that it was an accident and there's evidence that it wasn't an accident. So either way is a faith position. So I'm going to go with uh, looking at that question and then moving forward until you look out the window and you see trees and hummingbirds and all that stuff, that there was an intelligent design behind it. Other people choose to say, no, there's not an intelligent design behind it because they see death and poverty and those kind of things. So they say it was just a cosmic accident. And that's fine. But like I said, either way is a faith position. So I don't really have a pillar of faith other than when I boil it all the way down, there's like six or seven core elements that make me lean towards an intelligent design uh, creator, which is the something from nothing. There's that, um, the fine tuning, which is big controversy on that is like, why do atoms stay together? Why does all that kind of stuff stay together? all the way through, you know, why is there life from non-life to consciousness, all those types of things. When you add those all together cumulatively, you end up with my position, where I'm at. So you start with intelligent design, um, or, <laughs> you know, I used to think of well, what, the Big Bang, you know, and kind of rewind to that and think, uh, well, if there was a big bang, could there have been a big banger, <laughs> you know, just, or, or another way to think of it is some think in terms of a closed universe within which um, an exterior force can't act within or an open universe where um, in this case, a creator God might be able to act within it. So there are a bunch of related questions. So I see, I see where you're coming from. So you go from intelligent design and you're, you extrapolate that out and answer a few other fundamental existential questions. And you're a, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. And if you remember what I said in my beginning resume, I worked my way into engineering. Mm. And so when I was an engineer designing hydraulic systems, electric systems, mechanical systems, you start seeing how hard it is to make something work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It really is hard to take a piece of metal or a piece of something and make it actually do something for years on end. And so when you start reverse engineering in your mind, the complexities of nature, it leads you, at least it leads me and not, and I'm not the only one. It leads you to an intelligent designer. Yeah. Yeah. One last question or maybe set of questions. And then, uh, we, we have some current events to talk about. Were there certain life events that influenced your 
you were describing how you came to certain conclusions and that it wasn't like uh, you were saved out of the depths of darkness or anything like that. But were there certain experiences, life experiences that you had that did have influence on uh, some of the conclusions that you've arrived at? Not personal life experiences. I've actually had a pretty lucky life. You know, I haven't had a lot of tragedy and a lot of stuff like that, which I'm thankful for, which I don't think I'm deserving of it. A lot of Christians think, oh, I'm blessed or, you know, speaking of themselves, I don't think of it that way. I think of it as just kind of a numbers game. There's a lot of people and there's bad things happening to a lot of people and there's good things happening to people. And it's just kind of a slot machine <laughs> per se. But but then I, I, I like to believe that that there is a, a a god who's watching out for me but however if you go back and read the old text of the disciples they weren't having such a good time you know being burned at the stake and hung upside down on crosses and all that kind of stuff so i'm not definitely not into the prosperity gospel yeah. <laughs> kind of christian i'm kind of like you know but to answer your question i didn't really have a life-changing event it's kind of just taken over a long time and it might have had to do with um when i was a kid i did accept jesus as my savior but then i that was it and then i went to bible school and or uh, sunday bible school or whatever and then i i just um kind of backed out of it for years and then i think i've kind of came back to that so maybe if that's all true maybe he is looking out for me in mm. some sort of way but i don't think i have a pass from getting cancer or getting killed in a car wreck or something happening to my family. I really don't think there's a pass. I think it's just a matter of, I don't know if it's luck or what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, we are recording this on the night of the second presidential debate. So we, we specifically scheduled it. Um, I'll, I'll let you go first. Are any big takeaways from tonight's debate? Well, Okay, without getting into choosing sides, who did yeah. better, who did worse, all that kind of stuff, I want, I, I'm thinking of the moderators. And to be honest with you, I don't even know who this moderator was, but she was awesome. Yeah, she, 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 was, she did she a good job. Smoked, she smoked the last yeah. moderator, who I think was Chris, Chris Wallace. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Wallace. She, she smoked him. She, she was in control. Now, maybe, you know, the politicians up there were also schooled on not talking over each other. And she had a mute button. <laughs> yeah, that, that certainly helped. <laughs> that certainly helped. And that was that was nice. It was actually clear and concise. So I, I think she did a better job. I still think that Joe Rogan could do a better job. <laughs> Joe Rogan would be great. <laughs> and and if, reason, if you're interrupting too many times, he'd go up there and kick your ass. <laughs> that's right. You know, yeah. but see where she was falling into a trap and it's not her fault is she only had an hour and a half. And so and she had like five or I didn't count them. How many different major six COVID yeah. climate change uh, race, you know, all these massive subjects that you're going to pick somebody, not just the president, you're picking his entire cabinet his entire regime or if you want you know and judges and all these people on two minute answers yeah 
you know, and, and there's not a lot of swing voters out here. <laughs> very, very few. In this country. Yeah. But there are some. And you want to hear the issues. And, and going back to my son, he, he slammed me really hard the other day because he mentioned some politician who's running. And I said, I don't like that person. And he said, why? And I said, I don't, just don't. And he goes, why? What exactly? Give me, give me four points on why you don't like this person. What did they do? I'm like, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I want to, you know, before I say I don't like somebody, I want to hear about, I want to know as much about them as anybody who supports them and then decide I don't like them or like them. And that's where you're going to get that information. The only way you're going to get it is in a debate, because if somebody's talking, if I'm just talking, you don't know if I'm full of crap or not, unless you challenge me. You're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. That's not true. And these guys, um, the president, the vice, former vice president, going back and forth, you said this. No, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. You didn't say that. Yes, I did. No. Just stop and pull it up. Here's the video. You know, they spend millions of dollars putting on these debates. Have some guy, Jamie, from Joe Rogan, sitting in the corner <laughs> with Google going, well, actually, here it is, Mr. President, you did say that. Or here it is, Mr. Vice President, you did say that on this. And then they can explain the context. Yeah. That's, that's my takeaway from that. Yeah. Well, my, my overall takeaway from tonight is that President Trump did not did not shoot himself in the foot the way he did on the last one. I think his behavior on the last one and and it it proved itself out in the polls uh, after in, in the two to three weeks after that debate, he really didn't do himself any favors because so many people were watching maybe a lot of um, maybe a lot of folks that weren't paying a ton of attention that night were and his behavior is just not some that night was not something that we would want to teach our kids how to behave in any situation, let alone a presidential debate. Tonight, he conducted himself in a much more with much more decorum. Uh, so he certainly didn't shoot himself in the foot. Um, you know, say what you want about his specific answers and his specific style within the con within the confines of of the time and not interrupting. Um, that is more. Um, subjective, but he certainly didn't shoot himself in the foot. Similarly, I think the Trump campaign the entire time, ever since Biden, before Biden became the Democratic nominee, has been saying, oh, well, senile Joe, sleepy Joe, he can't put a sentence together. Joe is on point tonight. Uh, so Joe, so, and, and the way the race is going, the shape of the race, all he had to do was hold serve. And I think he had an even stronger performance than that. There are some of the typical stutters and stumbles and stuff like that, but he knew his stuff. He was prepared. He was on point. He got some punches in. So overall, I don't think that this debate is going to move the needle. It was, um, but which at this stage of the race is a win for Biden. I think that Trump didn't cause himself harm. So we're not going to see the polls go from wherever they are now, say nine and a half to 11 or 11 and a half uh, of a Biden lead. So they'll probably stay at about, about where they are, but that's not what Trump needs to do at this point. He needed to have either Biden completely, completely bomb 
um, you know, and I don't know what that would have looked like, but he certainly didn't bomb or Trump needed to have such a, you know, stellar, stellar performance that he won over some people that he lost. I just don't think he did. He did that either. So, well, people always ask, you know, at the end of the debate and, and, you know, the TV was still on when you, um, when we signed on here, you could hear it in the background. So you get all the spin doctors back there going, oh, he won or he won or whatever. But I think the only way you can determine who won a debate is all the Trump supporters are going to still support Trump. All the yeah. Biden supporters are going to support Biden. And all the, the Trump supporters are going to be looking at every stutter that Biden made. See, see, he stuttered. And all the the uh, Biden supporters are like, see, Trump, he lied on here. He lied on that one or whatever. But the way that I think you lose a debate is when you lose your own base. So if Trump supporters expect him to perform a certain way, Biden's supporters are expecting Biden to perform a certain way. And as long as they uphold that, they've won the debate for their base. So tonight, if and I haven't been on the internet to look, but I'm sure all the Trump supporters will say, oh, Trump wiped Joe Biden under this. And, and all the Biden supporters are going to be, oh, Biden just cleaned up on Trump and called him out on this and called him out on that. And so, and, and that's fair enough, you know. Now the swing voters, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to say on that because I'm not in their brain and neither are you, unfortunately, because I know your position or kind of know your positions. And well, you on these specific they, candidates, I have, I have a very strong. Right. I, I, I'm probably not as strong as you. It's a, it's a strong aversion. You know, I, I mean, I've made no secret of it that I just, from, from a character standpoint, and that's where it starts with me, looking through the lens of scripture from a character standpoint, I, Trump has shown exactly who he is. And it's just, you know, we don't need to necessarily get too deep into that. But, um, but, you know, regardless of my own personal conclusions, I try as much as possible to go into this thing with as clear eyes as possible. I don't necessarily, well, I have a rooting interest in the outcome. But as I'm trying to assess it, we can still some ha have some objectivity about how we look at tonight as a big event at the very tail end of this very, very long race. I'm honestly, I'm just not that passionate about it, about either one of them. Yeah. You know and so it's an important race. Yeah. But, but there's been candidates in my lifetime that have won that I did not vote for, did not want, and life went on. And, uh, you know, you just keep going to work and keep making your house payments and get married, get divorced, whatever. And it has nothing to do with the president, you know, unless the president is so incompetent that they bring us into some kind of a war or something, nuclear war or, or something pandemic. like that. But the good <laughs> news is about this country, and you can see it with Trump, is, is Trump proved how good this country is because he tried to do a bunch of bonehead moves and he got shut down. You, you, for the first time in my life, I got to see the three branches of government really work. You know, you see the judicial system shutting down the executive system. You see the legislative system pulling back on, you know, the, the Congress controls the money. And you, you got, you start really, even though you learn about it in school and you kind of know it, you don't know it until you really see it in active. Like, hey, I'm going to do this. Judge, no, you're not. You know, and so 
with those checks and balances that our forefathers were smart enough to put in, it it, it really helps with um, whoever you whoever gets elected. So whoever gets elected is going to have a minimal amount of power compared to a dictator. And so I think we're going to be okay. I don't think any individual president can lead us into war, even though they're accused of it. They have to go into the United Nations, they have to go in this and that, all these other types of things. So I honestly think we're going to be okay. And if one president starts raising taxes too high or the other one lowers taxes too low and, and, and the government starts failing, there's going to be Congress and everybody else stepping in and trying to correct it and fix it. I don't know. I mean, that's maybe I'm just too optimistic on that. And this might sound crazy, but for a really long time, the biggest issue, at least since 2008, the biggest issue for me wasn't necessarily an issue. It had to do with who we are as a culture how we talk, what we value, how we behave collectively and what we accept as civil behavior. Um, and, and it went back even further than that, especially as a resident alien in the Christian church, you know, I became a Christian back in 2000. And very quickly, I started to see things of basic assumptions of the community of the church and what we would not just accept, but embrace and excuse and the how we would interpret someone or misinterpret someone merely based on the letter before their name, whether it was an R or a D. So, you know, and Donald Trump is just the distillation of years and years of this stuff, you know? So I know this might sound um, elusive or, or I don't know, just, um, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, folks are like, yeah, but you know, he did great for Israel or, you know, site, you know, uh, the, the, the tax law and, you know, cite to individual things. And, you know, he fights for us and I don't care about a tweet here and there. And, um, but, but I do, I do. I, I think that the way we conduct ourselves, our personal character, what we value, what words come out of our mouth, what words we communicate through social media, um, our actions, our interpersonal actions, they do matter because everything else emanates from that, you know? So, to me, that that um, that is primary. Well, that's that's, that's fair enough. Um, but that goes back to the pie chart scenario. So, a president is a pie chart, and in that is the different slices. One of them is character, and I think Obama had great public character. He was a great speaker, communicator, eloquent, or whatever. Donald Trump is not. And, you know, so, but you got to look at all the other vice uh, slices too. So some people, their biggest thing is abortion. Other people is the LGBTQT or whatever. 
you know, there's, there's different things that they're hung up on that's super important to them. And so they're going to vote based on that, you know, but when you're talking about those types of things and you have a vice president standing up there on a debate stage in front of millions of people calling the sitting president a clown, <laughs> you're not getting too far from the apple tree, you know? And, and so I, I think that if you're going to um, go with that, you know, there's better people to pick. I mean, I'd go back and vote for Obama over either one of these knuckleheads. And I didn't, wasn't a big fan of Obama for other reasons, but um you know, so if if you're going on that pie slice, I'm not sure much sure how much better Biden is. He's better than Trump on that. He he is, but I'm not sure how much better. But on all the other pie slices, I don't know. You know, again, I'm the wrong guy. I don't yeah. follow it that much. I really don't. I you know, I could talk religion with you all night. The the date the the debate just happened to be on. You know. We just finished watching it, so it's fresh in my mind. Yeah, but yeah. If you're talking about it next week, I'd be like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I got a bigger. I'm I'm still not going to go to religion, but I because the the big topic for today, I want to say the polls were right. What say you, Mister Verner? Yes and no. Okay. So I'm pulling up my little notes here. I actually made notes as you make me think. So I've worked on political campaigns, not as a paid person, but as a volunteer and I've been around mostly local level senators, assembly people, city council. And polls are an invaluable tool at that point. So if you're like, you know, especially on a presidential race or some kind of a massive federal type of thing where you're, you know, crossing multiple states, jurisdictions, those types of things. But here's where polls can be misleading because they're a dynamic system. So what happens is, let's say Trump is down nine points in state XYZ or whatever. You and me here on the news, oh, Trump's down nine points, X, Y, Z. Well, they hear it too. And they got their own polls. So they're like, we got to go work on state X, Y, Z to get those and fix that. Now, you don't see what they're doing out there because we're not in that state. And you don't know what they're doing in the millions of commercials and all that kind of stuff. And if they're moving the needle or not. But maybe they are. and Maybe they're, they don't until you hear another poll. And... And so that that's something you have to take into consideration and that the, that when you and me hear the poll, it can change because of the candidates also hear the poll and they, they make a change. And then the other thing is, the other thing is with polling, and there was a great article, I'll, I'll share the link with you. Um, it's, it's probably a right-leaning article is about the guy who picked the last polls or whatever um, Trump that was going to win, whatever he thought he was going to lose. But he gave a lot of universal pointers. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. It, it was some decent stuff on how he chooses um, how their polls work and why they're, they're becoming one of the, 
the more accurate pollsters. And one of the things is they were saying is how important it is the way you ask the question. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are like minor nuances. It also matters is if the question is robotic, like, do you support President Trump for president? One for yes, two for no. You're more likely to push one than if somebody's on there. Are you supporting the liar in chief? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, not not just the questions themselves, but the order in which they're asked. Right. And in a lot of people, he didn't really say this in the article, but a lot of people they wear two faces. You you have your public facing face and then your private face. And if you ask me who I'm going to support for president, I might lie because I, it might affect my business. It might affect my livelihood. It might affect my friendship with you or whoever's asking the question. So I might just say, you know, I'm not really sure or I'm on the fence or, or I know who you're going to vote for. Yeah, I'm going to vote for whoever. But when I go in there in that little secret room or, you know, your mail-in ballot, you, you push that button nobody knows what you do. I don't even know what my, who my wife votes for. And, and if you really want to boil it down, I do know who she votes for because I've seen the ballot. But if we went in the little room, I honestly, I wouldn't know. She could just go and vote for somebody else. And I feel I have a good enough relationship with my wife. She would tell me, but I really don't know. It's like, I don't know how the universe began. I don't know who she voted for, you know? So I think that, but, but then the other thing is, the way you ask questions to and who you ask questions to is a filter. So there's certain people that love to be surveyed and they want to tell you everything. You know, if you got 30 questions, they're going to answer them all. And there's other people that don't even want to spend a minute on it. Those types of people, you're not, you're not getting an accurate thing. If, if you can hold a gun to everybody's head and say, I need to know who you're voting for. And you pick out a thousand people or 10,000 people and they're spread out throughout the United States. I think you can get a hundred percent accurate poll. But I think if you're randomly calling people and you're and you have to and you're gonna have a bias of who's answering the phone, who's not answering the phone, who's gonna talk, conservatives, uh, there's another poll that says conservatives are five times least likely to answer a poll. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen that. Yeah, I saw that. I don't think that yeah. bears out in the numbers though. Well, I don't know, you know, so but there's a lot of a lot of um a lot of things in, like I said, I'll share that article with you. So yeah. I have a couple of responses for that. Okay. Uh, I think two, two of uh, you covered a, a, a few different areas here. Um, one of which was, I think I heard you saying that some people, if they do answer a poll, they might give BS answers or non-answer answers. Um, I don't think there's a lot of evidence for that. Uh, and here's here's how we know is because for, for, first of all, not all polls are equal. There are some crap polls that ask dumb questions or ask nebulous questions or ask questions in a leading way. There are other polls that just ask straightforward questions. Who are you supporting for president? You know, so this particular critique or or caution sign uh, that you brought up is that you know while we might. If we're at a board meeting for the, you know, for a local business group or something, um, we might, in that situation, not want to answer or um, mislead. But 
when you're on a private call with a pollster, there's not a ton of incentive to lie about it. Right. Uh, and, and there is, at the end of the day, the pollsters care about their own existence. So if they're not accounting for that level of error and building that possibility into their, um, their conclusions, then they're not going to be in business for that much longer, or they're going to get the wrong rating. Um, you know, but you do have some A rated polls and A minus and A plus rated polls. And they're based that way, based on the accuracy of how they've performed in the past. You have Siena, you have Monmouth, you have Rasmussen that's done pretty well, Fox News that's done pretty well. They're A rated based on their actual results. So if so many people were lying, they wouldn't be able to get results within their margin of error at a high enough percentage of the time uh, for them to get that A rating, let alone for them to continue to exist. Now, on a related note, you also said, well, who responds to these polls? And that can go any number of directions. There isn't, specifically what you said is that, uh, and I don't know if this was, if you were just using this as an example, but you know, five times more Democrats or Democratic-leaning independents respond than, than Republicans. So a couple things there. Number one, there isn't evidence for that in the polls that we're seeing. That, that, that would mean that if a pollster calls a thousand people, he would have whatever the math is, um, 40 respondents or 50 respondents uh, that were Democrats and only 10 that were Republicans. That simply isn't, uh, that isn't being borne out in the numbers. Um, and if people are misrepresenting what their party affiliation is, then the results in past elections, 18, 16, 14, you know, and, and all those, but we would be seeing the results of that. The, the errors would have been much greater uh, in in recent polls, let alone over the course of the the life of the uh, the pollsters, so yeah, I uh, those on those two scores, um, I I don't buy it. And the other thing too is to consider that the pollster, the good pollsters, will be adjusting how they're weighting. The big one of the big issues that many of us have heard about is that um, where the error was. You know, there, there's always a margin of error in a, a good poll will say, well, it's not going to be 46.2%. And then, you know, if it's not 46.2%, they're wrong. No, a good pollster is going to say, okay, it's polling here. Um, this is what we're seeing 46, 46% with a margin of error of 3.5. So what they're saying could be as high as, you know, um, 46 plus three and a half or 46 minus three and a half. So there's a seven point swing there, you know, and if they fall within that range, then they've done their job in order to come up with that 46%. They have to take into account, like let's say they're doing it on Pennsylvania. They have to take into account the population there, who they actually got on the phone, to your point. They develop a model by which they say, wow, we uh, of the 100 people that we got on the phone or 500 or 1,000 people that we got on the phone, the, this is the profile of the individuals that we got on the phone. But we know that the, represent the overall representation of likely voters statewide is different than the than the thousand people that we got on the phone. So we have to adjust our percentages for that. It's called weighting. You know, if if the African American population is ten percent of a certain state, and of the thousand people that they got, uh, they only got five percent of African American. You know, and they they get it even more granular than that. African American women or suburban women or 
you know, in Florida doing not just Latino, but Cuban and Puerto Rican and um, Central American. So they really, some polls really get granular and they have to adjust the number of people from different demographics um, based and, and weight, weight those demographics based on the accurate numbers of likely voters in that state. So there are, I don't know if this is making any sense. This is probably getting really geeky, but, um, <laughs> but there are ways to address what, what you're talking about in terms of who, what you said, who responds to these polls. Well, no, the, the polls do work in certain circumstances because I was with a local politician who was worried about running for city council, but he had big name recognition and he didn't want to run and lose. He wanted, so he did a poll and the poll was extremely accurate on to the, you know, and he, the results of the election came out pretty close to what the poll had said. But I think when you're trying to do a, you know, in a city with 250,000 people and, and, you know, 40,000 registered voters, something like that is one scenario when you're trying to go across 50 states and, God knows how many counties, you know, let alone cities, it, it starts getting pretty complicated. You know, yeah. it's a pretty complicated number. So, you know, but they're there. But I, I would say that the margin of error in my book is probably closer to 10%. Oh, really? So, yeah. Just in, again. For a local poll, you mean? No, for, for all polls. national poll. So if they say Biden's winning by 9% in this state and 9% in that state, I mean, Hillary was up that many points in uh, Florida or all this. Stuff. And, and if you go back and Google me, I'm probably wrong. But it was certain states <laughs> that she was up on and way over Trump. And, you know, he ended up taking those states at the end of the day. So and that was a bunch of different polls, polling companies. So I, I have some thoughts about that. Um, again, I'm going to get pretty, pretty uh, geeky here. So Hillary was an interesting, um, interesting, her, the trajectory of her campaign was interesting to study because, you know, October, I think it was October 7th of 2016, the um, Hollywood thing, the, what, what was it called? Uh, de de not Deadline Hollywood. What was the tape? The tape where Trump got caught saying a bunch of things. Oh yeah. Dateline or, or uh, no, I don't know what it was, but. Yeah, he got caught saying nasty things on a tape, and that, that was October 7th. And her poll shot up at the beginning of October. Well, by the end of October and by Election Day, which I think was November 7th last time around, her, her, her numbers had already come back way down to earth, down to about 25 or 3% nationally. So that's, that's one thing. So the, the, that, that race was much more dynamic. This race in 2020 is much more steady. Ever since the, the early June, it has been very, very steady and has, has stayed within about a two-point range. Uh, Hillary, Hillary's numbers were up after the Democratic National Convention. Then they were down after the Republican National Convention. And then they were way up on the, the Hollywood tape. And then they came back down after the Comey thing. Um, so it was way up and way down. But by election day, it was it was about as close as she had been all race all, all the entire race to Trump, and that's at the national level. Now another big difference between this um, election and last election is, frankly, we have a heck of a lot more state level polling, and we we know that that's you know this is an electoral college. It, it's not uh, a pure democracy. 
you have to win on the electoral college level. So we had a lot less state level polling, certainly a lot less A rated state level polling. This time around, we have much, um, much more, much more thorough and of A rated polls at the state level. So we have a lot more information. It's a lot less volatile than the last time around. And um, unless, unless Trump is able to gain at least three, if not four or five points between now and election day, which is less than two weeks away, um, and, and the polls are really way off, which they weren't last time, by the way. They weren't way off last time. They were all within them, not all. Um, you know, I'm talking about A-rated polls, and certainly at the national level, it was well within its margin of error. You know, she was at, uh, I think she won by two and a half percent, and she, you know, she was polling at about three at the national level. Um, and we could start to look at individual state polls, but that's what I want to get into next. I don't know if you want to get into prognostication on a state-by-state -state level, but... Well, no. But, <laughs> I do. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, I'm not that versed in it. Okay. But, um, so I'm happy to, you know, listen. But I think that, <laughs> you're <laughs> you humoring know, me. I'm I'm not I'm not an expert in polling. Okay. I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm very you know anecdotal. But but what I can say about the last election is virtually nobody thought Trump was going to win. I disagree I, with that. But I mean, there's a few people that hoped that he was going to win. But I don't think that. Hillary definitely didn't think he was going to win. And I don't think Trump thought he was going to win. I, I, so, okay. So I heard somebody say, I think it was, um, it might've been David French or uh, Jonah Goldberg or one of those guys. And they said it exactly on the money. They said the polls weren't wrong. The pundits were, there was a lot of pundits that were just assuming this is a done deal, but you know something, if you go back and you look at the 538, one of my favorite uh, models to look at, 538 gave Trump a 28% chance of winning. Now, if you put that in baseball terms, Eddie Murray, who was an LA Dodger for a while, he was also a, a Met for a while, he went to the Hall of Fame and he had about a 280 batting average. It's like thinking he's got a 280 batting average. Derek Jeter was pretty close to a 280 batting average by the end of his career. It's like saying Derek Jeter, Hall of Famer, he has a pretty good chance of getting a hit when he comes up to bat, right? they were giving him a 28% chance of winning. That's a pretty good chance of winning. Now, there were plenty of other polls that were like, oh, greater than 99% chance that he's going to lose, you know? So, um, but I'm not talking about those polls. I'm talking about, and 538 isn't a poll, it's a, it's a model. Um, but I'm not talking about those models or polls. I'm talking about the good polls. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you can't just well, pick. Uh, as, as an individual, I'd never really care for polls because I feel like I'm looking underneath the Christmas tree to see what I'm going to get. <laughs> oh, you just yeah. want to be surprised? <laughs> I like to be surprised. It's like, you know, but as a, if you're involved in a campaign, it's very crucial. But, yeah. you know, when I was young, I'm probably a little bit older than you. I'm not sure. but A lot older. And you look even older than that. <laughs> no, you look older than me. But What'd you say? You look older than me, but I do. I have way more gray hair than you. You got more hair. But um, <laughs> when I was a kid, they would call New York. You know, they're three hours ahead of us. They're like, oh, so and so just won. They're like, we haven't even voted yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and so they tried to stop that. So I think the polls are also beneficial in skewing the election because if all of a sudden you know. 
Trump is down or Biden's down or whatever, whoever their supporters are, oh, I better get out and make sure I really vote this time. So I don't know. You know, I really don't know because if the polls were really accurate, there wouldn't be a margin of error. And then at the end of the day, it's a 50-50 coin toss, you know, on who wins and who doesn't. I mean, if Trump is down, like if he's down more than, I, I would say if he's down more than 10%, you're writing him off for that state, like California. There's no way in hell Trump is going to win California. So if you're a Trump supporter, don't even waste your time voting for him, you know, or your Biden supporter. You don't even need to vote because they're going to pick up California. Other states, there's probably, and you know more than me, it sounds like, on how many exact swing states there are. Those are the states that are controlling the election. You know, and the, the bigger conversation, I think, than polling is should we be with the electoral or popular vote? You know, I think that's a whole nother conversation. But since we're on the electoral, I think that it eliminates California, New York, and some of these ones. And so the polling won't even matter in these states. And the polling would be accurate because, like I said, it would be a cold day in hell if Trump won California because it, that just ain't going to happen. Yeah, not at this point. That, that's a given. Yeah. Well, but I, I, but I would like to hear your individual states, what you have to say on that so I can learn. Okay. So I think you're right. I think that it comes down to a handful of um, individual states and just running through a few of them, um, about a dozen. I think it's uh, in this cycle, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa is still considered that. I'm going to say Kansas, but that's just to piss some people off. Um, but I'll make a, I'm going to make a comparison and, and give some reasoning why I, I include Kansas loosely in this. Um, Kansas, Michigan, many people are talking about Michigan, Minnesota, not Nebraska as a whole, but Nebraska has Nebraska. Is it Nebraska one or Nebraska two that has like a, they can cast. Yeah, it's Nebraska, Nebraska two, where they can cast their own electoral vote. Um, separate from the rest of the state. Nevada. Is it Nevada or Nevada? <laughs> I always forget. Tomato uh, or tomato. Yeah. North Carolina is definitely a swing state right now. It's a very tight race. Ohio is a tight race. Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania is interesting. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to say South Carolina. Texas is very close, which is weird. So can I and, stop you there real quick? And the last one is Wisconsin. So that's that's the that's the group. So what I, I think is funny about those those states you gave is Texas and Arizona, because those were never, at least maybe I'm wrong, I don't think those were ever swing states. But what's funny about those is there's a mass exodus of Californians to Texas and Arizona. Yeah. So they're going to these states. And I don't know why they're leaving California because well, it's probably because it's too expensive. And but they're bringing their liberal ideas <laughs> to these states that were no, normally, um, you know, red states, and now they're turning them purple and blue that, to the point where they're becoming swing states. Right. So right. I think it's it's kind of funny how that's changing because those I don't think those states 
and I could be wrong, but I, I don't think those states were ever on the map as swing states. So this 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 is a really good point. I and I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail here for a second. If someone were just tuning in and heard how strongly I feel about Trump's character, um, it would be natural to come to all sorts of conclusions about all of my other political positions and how I feel about different legislation. And um, we looked at opening one of our companies in Arizona and Texas specifically because it's more business friendly. I, I At the state level in California, I am not a fan of the current state legislature. Um, there, it, it's just frankly, it's just not a business friendly state currently. So yeah, we looked very strongly at Arizona and Texas. I mean, just on workers comp alone, you know, that the rates in those states would alleviate such a major burden on our company. It might sound surprising if someone came to conclusions just based on how I feel about Trump, what my um, specific nuanced uh, on a position by position basis are. But well, there, there's the U-Haul test. Call U-Haul and say, how much is it to take a U-Haul from here to Texas? Yeah. And it's like $1,000. And then you call it, say, how much does it take the U-Haul from Texas to California? It's like, free. We got to get them back <laughs> to California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So to get back to the state by state, um, I'll say this, that of all those states I mentioned, Biden has to win very few. The fulcrum, meaning if he wins a certain state, then the election is moving in his favor because of what you were talking about before. There are certain bankable states and thus a certain number of bankable electoral votes. Um, you know, California, New York, uh, traditionally um, states like Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, South Carolina. There are certain states that are very, very blue or very, very red. Based on those bankable electoral votes, of all the states I mentioned, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Biden needs to win those states in order to win the election. But Trump needs to win virtually all of the states that I mentioned. And right now, right now, Biden is ahead in Arizona. He has a really good chance of winning Arizona. Um, he's close in Texas, but I, I still, I, I would bet on Texas, but only if he gave me three to one odds. Um, you know, he, and he, he just doesn't, Biden doesn't need Texas to win. Um, he's comfortably ahead in Nevada, uh, North Carolina, North Carolina is a state where he's currently up about two ish points, plus or minus a half a point, depending on the day. Um, and some good a rated polls came out that were closer to three. Um, he has a really good shot and Biden has a really good shot of win, winning North Carolina, but he doesn't need to win North Carolina. There's plenty of paths to victory for Biden without North Carolina. I personally think he's at the end of the day, he's going to win in a tight race in North Carolina. Um, he's currently very, very slightly ahead in Georgia. Doesn't need Georgia to win this race. My personal feeling about Georgia, though, is that even if Biden actually wins by a point, a point and a half or even two points, he's not going to end up winning Georgia. I, I just... I, I, I'm very, uh, I'm very down on the, the current governor and, and secretary of state in, in Georgia. They, they have a track record, a recent track record of stacking the deck in their favor. So he's Biden's got to win Georgia by at least two and a half, three points. And I just don't think he's going to do it. I think at the end of the day, he's going to lose Georgia, but he doesn't need to win Georgia. So anyway, that, this is some of my specific takeaways. I think he's going to win Arizona. I think he's going to win Florida. 
I think that for the Cuban population that is skewing very much in Trump's favor, I think that there are a lot of new, Trump is losing voters over 65 in Florida. And I think if anything, that part of the population is being undercounted. They're very bankable voters. There's also a ton of early voting that's already in in Florida. And the um, registered Democrats versus registered Republicans of votes that are already in, there's 48.5 million votes that are already in. We're sitting here on Thursday night and it's almost two to one, 51% Democrats, 26% Republican registered voters. Now that doesn't mean they all voted according to the party that they're registered for, but right now, we know that over 90% go with the party no, that they're registered yeah. for. So, you know, and the other thing is 22% are uh, independent or unaffiliated. And right now, Biden is winning independents and unaffiliated by uh, between 10 and 15 points. So he's bet these are votes that are already made. Um, so I think he's going to win Florida. I think we're undercounting uh, registered new residents of Florida that came in from Puerto Rico that are going to skew very heavily towards Biden. So I think he's going to win Florida. I told you about Georgia. I think he, I, gosh, Georgia just confounds me. Um, I, I think that if the vote was a clean vote, that, that Biden could win Georgia in a very, very tight race. But I think at the end of the day, the technicalities, they're going to throw away votes. I do, I do think he's going to lose Georgia. Michigan, Biden. Minnesota, Biden. Um, Nebraska, too, Biden. Nevada, Biden. North Carolina, I told you about, I think he's going to win that in a very close race. Ohio, I think Trump is going to win. Pennsylvania, Biden. I don't care what anybody says. Biden. Uh, Even about the fracking? Stop. <laughs> Let's see. Texas. Yeah. Again, I, I think that uh, we're not quite where Texas is going to vote blue. Not quite yet, but it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be within one and a half points. Uh, but Biden's going to lose Texas. And then, uh, it, but let me tell you something. If, if Biden wins Texas, I mean, it's a, it's a wave. It's an absolute wave. And, and then Wisconsin, Biden's going to win. So, yeah, I, I have Biden at somewhere around 335 to 350 electoral votes. That's my take. You're not fighting me about it. I, I thought you were going to come in and just argue every point. <laughs> well, I'd have to do as much research as you have on state by state, and I haven't, so I'm going to take your word for it. But uh, this is recorded, so yeah. November fourth. If you're wrong, <laughs> I got this forever. If yeah. you're right, I'll shake your hand and buy you a beer. Okay. But yeah. that brings me to the next question. Okay. Is there's a fundamental difference between Biden policies and Trump's policies? And I know on the pie slice, you don't like it, Trump's demeanor and attitude and the way he you know presents himself publicly but what do you think about these tax plans and all this stuff that biden's proposing and all this other stuff i mean do you think as a businessman who's thinking about leaving this state that's you're going to have this state spread across the country yeah you know as crazy as it sounds for somebody who's as uh into politics as i am it's more about philosophy um, it's more about how we engage with each other because, you know, and, and we could talk about specific policies as they come up, but very few are going to affect me on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, when California introduced the $15 minimum wage, um, I have a nuanced perspective about that. And that is, I, 
I believe in creating opportunity for individuals to make all, you know, to, to be able to support themselves um, and, and create opportunity to raise the ceiling for, you know, where they can go, whether you're cleaning windows or collecting trash or you're a genius engineer, you know, creating, you know, the, the, the killer app of, of the day. Um, I believe in opportunity, but um, I also believe in opportunity based on productivity. Um, I believe in a balanced, a balanced profit and loss statement. You know. So then let me ask you a question or two. So yeah. the minimum wage thing directly affected you. It did. And number one, did you have to raise your prices to compensate for that? We did. Yeah, okay. we did. That so was my argument. I went in front of the um, LA County Board of Supervisors. And what was clear to me was that four out of five of the people sitting on that, on that board um, never balanced a checkbook, let alone a P&L. <laughs> you know? So the, the fact is, is that we've had to raise our rates in direct relation to, in, in order to keep up with how aggressively minimum wage has been raised. Now, we have a great team of guys that are now making more than minimum wage um, because they understood, our team understands that, that it is about productivity. So they want to find ways of being more productive on a day-by-day -day basis in order to make their time worth that much more and everybody, everybody wins. So, but we had to pass that on directly to the customer, you know. But does everybody win? So for example, if you have 10 guys and they're more productive, now do you only need nine? Yeah, so we're doing more with, what do we have right now? Um, yeah, actually, we're at less than half the, the crew size. We, right. had to, we, we had to go to, you know, savages. You know, we, we had to, you know, where we could keep a guy that was, you know, a decent utility player. We can't afford to keep that guy. So, so spread that across the country like butter. Yep. Yeah, what no, you you're not going to get an argument from me. I'm not. Uh, I, I know, but this is what you're voting for. So yeah. I know because you don't like somebody like my dentist, for example, is got an is an asshole, <laughs> but he's good. Should I keep going to that dentist or should I switch because I don't like his demeanor? Well, it's not just about demeanor. I mean, I don't think that's a fair I don't think that's a fair analogy because well, it's kind of what you said. So I'm well, no, no, that. because your dentist isn't on TV every day and on Twitter every day, um, info and, and, and setting an example for millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, you know, if he's an asshole and then you can, you can simply choose to go to another, another dentist. If he's so objectionable to you, then yeah. Um, find another dentist that, that, you know, isn't, uh, isn't a complete asshole. Um, that, that, that's an easy one. And listen, I can have a disagreement with, if we were talking about Bernie, this would be a much more difficult conversation for me. If we were talking about AOC, it'd be a much more difficult conversation with me. I, I don't think that AOC is a terrible person, but I think she's incredibly naive. I think she doesn't, she doesn't understand math. You know, I, I, I don't disagree with her, with where her heart is for people. Um, I don't disagree with, you know, the, the ideals maybe that she has, but math disagrees with her, <laughs> you know? So that's how, that's how I feel about AOC. Um, but Biden, 
you know, listen, I disagree with certain policies that he has. You know, I think I'm going to say it out loud. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I think Trump had a good point that, you know, on a state by state basis, it's an individual case. You know, the cost of living in California is not the same cost of living in Alabama, two states that I happen to know very well. So, you know, to, but you, to but have, you just said earlier that if Biden, he wouldn't affect you uh, if he gets in there. But now you're saying he would because he's going to raise the minimum wage. Yeah, I, well, I disagree. I disagree with that particular policy. There's not, there's never going to be in any individual politician. I was a, I'm a huge Paul Ryan fan, huge Paul Ryan fan. But he's not going to get in, and and, and the, but the tax law that ended up getting through was not Paul Ryan's tax law. It was it, it was so far removed from his um, economic political philosophy. By the day, it was so hacked at that it, it looked nothing like the the principles that fed into what he originally crafted. But even even a, a politician like Paul Ryan, there are individual policy positions that he holds that I just disagree with. See, I think the minimum wage spread across the country might work. See, you're in a little bit different scenario than the trash business. Trash business, you need millions of dollars, expensive trash trucks, big city contracts. You're not going to give them to you unless you're already hauled another city. Very difficult to get into. Window washing, what did you call them? Bucket Bob? Just, <laughs> yeah, you get bucket. You, well, just, you know, and so if they enforce the minimum wage and enforce that everybody has workers comp and enforce it and put everybody on a level playing field, then you're going to get, you're going to be able to raise your prices and yeah. be competitive with your competitor. But if everybody's playing on the same level playing field and you raise your prices and McDonald's raises their prices and everybody raises their prices, then the guy making $15 an hour suddenly needs to make $20 an hour. And, and I'm not an economist, and there probably is a counter argument to that that I haven't heard. But it just in my simple mind, it just seems like all votes are going to rise with that tide. Right, right. Yeah, and that's I, I, there's there's a lot in there. You know, the fact is that there are some guys who just bottom line are more more productive, guys and gals for that matter. Uh, I'm not trying to just um, discriminate here, but individuals that are simply more productive. Whereas if you impose, um, if, if you impose, you have to pay this amount. Well, people who are actually more productive and are creating more for themselves, for the company, for the economy, well, th there has to be a harder ceiling on that person. I just don't think that's right. I think we should we should incentivize productivity uh, and contribution. Well, it's going to be a catalyst for automation. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Once the minimum wage was imposed here in California, we started looking very, very heavily. And it, it's not the technology isn't there yet. But I would say within five years, we're going to have drones and um, automated uh, window cleaning devices. You know, even the tools that we use now, just the water, they're not drones, but the, our guys use water fed poles so they can keep their feet on the ground. They're not doing as many ladder climbs. You know, but I invested, gosh, probably 15, 20, maybe $25,000 in, in um, water-fed pole technology, which makes my guys more productive. And because the guys that I have on crew are more productive, it means on a crew of 10, it means that I only need a crew of eight, for example. It has a very well, significant it, effect it, on that. 
So it's going to be a big reversal. So now you're going to have a big need for people to work in developing this technology. Yeah. But there's not going to be any need for Bucket Bob. Well, yeah. Um, and that's the other thing on the other side of it is that, you know, part, part of my competition in that industry is um, good, good people. I know some of my competitors are good, good at their job. They're good people in the community. I really have some respect for those guys, a lot of respect for those guys, but there are others that are paying cash under the table that aren't carrying workers comp. They're not paying their people under the table, uh, even, even the minimum wage because they're saying, Hey, listen, you're getting cash. So I, you know, uh, 20% of your money would be taken out in taxes. So I could just give you 12 bucks cash instead of the 15 minimum wage. And they're perfectly fine with that. You know, so I'm not competing, um, head to head. I'm competing with guys who are flying under the radar, you know, who aren't paying workers comp. And it's, it's not, like you said, it's not a level level playing field. So I didn't think we were going to get into this tonight. I thought, it was like, I thought you were just going to tell me, ah, oh, you're full of crap. You don't know what you're talking about. The polls were wrong. And, no, you, I don't. I told you from the beginning, I don't know that much about the polls other than what I've mentioned. Yeah. But I think that was actually useful information. So come uh, November 3rd, I'm only going to watch three states. And when, they, when, when Biden takes those three states, I'm going to be done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so actually election night, there are three states that are worth watching. Um, and, and interestingly enough, Biden doesn't need any of the three states, but I think he's going to win at least two out of three. I, I said, I said, he, I just said he's going to win all three, but the three states to watch are Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina. And the reason to watch those three states is because for, for different reasons, they're, they're going to be able to report earlier than other states. You know how there's a lot of mail-in ballot uh, ballots coming in and it's going to take days and days to count up all these ballots. Well, Florida is already, because of their state laws, they're already able to count ballots that are coming in. North Carolina is a really well-organized election system. So even though they can't count ballots, they can do everything right up to counting ballots. So they'll be able to report a lot earlier. And Arizona is an early reporting state. Um, so it, if Biden is winning even one of those three states, which will probably know election night or certainly by the next morning, it means that the race is essentially over. Because if Biden is winning Arizona, he's winning Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. If Biden is winning North Carolina, he's, he's winning Florida, Arizona, and he's definitely winning um, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So any of those three states, but I, I think at least two out of those three states, we're going to know that night. So those are the three states to watch. So when we discuss religion and other things, you're always wrong. This <laughs> this subject, I don't know anything about. I just assume you're wrong on this one as well. <laughs> well, we didn't get into uh, pledging the flag, but we're we're not even gonna go there tonight. We're not even gonna go there tonight. I, I need I need a couple of drinks in me before we can do that. So yeah, but that that that, that one's definitely we have to do that one. <laughs> pledging the flag and a um, couple of the other ones. Well, yeah, that, that controversy came up here uh, in our local business group uh, way before Kaepernick ever took a knee. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that oh, at some you, point. you didn't take a knee. No, I didn't take a knee. I was much more subtle, but uh, I, I don't have enough liquid courage in me to, uh, to explore that tonight. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, it was, it was really great catching up with you, and uh, I appreciate you doing this. We'll, uh, we'll 
take a listen between now and, and uh, when this airs, just to make sure we, <laughs> we didn't cost ourselves, our businesses, our friends, <laughs> you know, go back and fact check ourselves and say, well, just delete the whole recording. Yeah. If I'm way <laughs> off, if I'm completely wrong, I'm just pulling this episode down. <laughs> you, you're, you're the one who named a bunch of numbers and states and statistics. I, I stayed away from that. So yeah, so uh, you'll either owe me dinner or I might have to make my own dinner a crow. <laughs> right. That, that sounds right. So good stuff, man. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Say hello to your lovely bride for me. All right. All right, man. Thank you for joining us today. If you appreciate what you've heard here, please go to iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. That really helps move us up the chart so others can find out what we're up to here. For Ronnie Nathan, I'm Corey Nathan, and we've been talking politics and religion without killing each other. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam.